Ideally, we should transact our business online with confidence, but as various notorious breaches in the last few months have shown, that's not the case. The United States government, through the National Institute of Standards and Technology, for the past three years has championed an initiative to work with business partners to create a trusted internet ecosystem. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro of Information Security Media Group, and again, I'm pleased to be joined by the point man on the initiative, Jeremy Grant. He's a NIST Senior Executive Advisor. Welcome back, Jeremy. Thanks. Great to be here, Eric. First, for the uninitiated, briefly explain NSTIC, the National Strategy for Trusted Identities in Cyberspace. Sure. NSTIC was launched by President Obama in April of 2011 as the first new cybersecurity program that his administration uh, put out. And it essentially is out there trying to tackle three issues that are closely related to each other when it comes to trust on the Internet. The first is that the password is fundamentally broken, both from a security and a usability standpoint. You know, it was one thing 30 or 40 years ago when passwords were basically invented to, you know, help people get access to specified time slots on mainframes. But is it pretty much everything else about our computing environment has evolved during that time, the password still remained the gateway to different services that we're trying to access online. And the problem is it's just fundamentally insecure. When you look at how different network intrusions are actually executed, Verizon does a great study every year called the Data Breach Investigations Report they do in partnership with uh, law enforcement agencies around the world. A whopping 76% of network intrusions are tied to exploiting different weaknesses of passwords, which is really a pretty stunning number when you contemplate you know, all of the different types of attacks we we have. It basically means it's an anomaly these days when an attack, you know, happens that isn't tied to a password. And on the usability side, it, we're, we're pretty much, you know, losing the battle. Security solutions have to be easy to use, but most of us are being told now, man, there's 25 or 30 different passwords in our life. Make every one of them different. Make every one of them at least 12 characters with uppercase, lowercase symbols and numbers. Don't write any of them down. The reality is very few people actually know how to manage this. People use the same one or two weak passwords every place they go. We need to get people towards stronger forms of authentication that can replace the password. The second thing that's closely tied to it... Which well, before, before we get into the second thing, because I did want to ask about passwords, and why don't we go into that right now? Sure. As you said, it causes so much problems. It's probably uh, one of the least favorite ways of authenticating for people. What is the life expectancy of the password? Will it ever go away? You know, people debate this all the time, and they, you know, question, we certainly get asked with NSTIC a lot, you know, is the password going to be completely replaced, or will I just use it less? And the answer is, you know, one, it's tough to say. People have been trying for years to replace the password, and there haven't been a lot of solutions that have actually taken hold in the marketplace. And we can talk more about why some of that is a little bit later, as well as why we're optimistic that we're actually near a tipping point right now with some new types of technologies that are emerging. But there's also the other question of, does it make sense to still have them in some applications and only, you know, get to something different or better? or stronger for other uh, more high-risk applications. I'll say from the perspective of our office, there may be room for passwords in the future, but everything that we're trying to do is catalyze replacements that are more secure and easier to use. And what are so far the inhibitors from that happening? There's no shortage of technologies that are out there that you can use in lieu of a password or alongside a password to make it more secure. Uh, the problem is that they haven't really taken hold in the marketplace, at least in the consumer space. We've seen a number of barriers. Uh, usability has been a big one. You know, Do consumers actually find the new technologies easy to use? Are they willing to carry around something with them that can be used for a second factor of authentication? In the past, the answer has been no. You know, Consumers in the U.S. haven't wanted to carry tokens or smart cards or other things like that. However, what 
we're finding, in part driven by a whole bunch of new technologies that are leveraging mobile phones and other mobile devices, people are already carrying something with them. And if you can simply build it into that solution, you actually have a much easier way to get stronger forms of authentication out to people. In fact, the new pilot that we just awarded that we can talk about a little later is focused specifically on mobile devices. Second has been concerns about privacy. If I'm having you know, a credential that I'm using across multiple sites, what data is being collected as I visit every site? Is there a way to link it? Are there things that can happen behind the scenes that I'm not sure of? We haven't really had good firm privacy standards in this space, and that's something that has spooked the consumers and businesses alike. The third is liability. Uh, what happens if I've got a credential company, you're using it to log into uh, you know, an online shopping site and it gets compromised and somebody sues? Who's liable for what? There are other industries where people are using different things, different places where there are some you know, predefined liability limits that are in there that at least can help organizations better risk model what happens if something goes wrong, but we haven't seen that in identity. And you know, fourth, closely tied to that, I'd say, is the whole business model. Who actually makes money at this and how? Clearly, somebody you know, somewhere along the way uh, has to have uh, revenues. There haven't been a lot of firm models that have been proven that actually make sense. There's been no shortage of entrepreneurs that have said, I've got a great technology, and if you pay me $100 per year per user, I'll solve all of your problems. But that's not really feasible economically. You know, and the fifth, I would say, is interoperability. And this you know, may be the most important one. If I have a credential that I want to use across seven different sites, what are the standards, both technical as well as on a policy basis that actually enable all those sites to easily integrate with it. There's some new standards that are emerging that we're excited about, but a lot of work to be done both there as well as on the policy side. If I understand Anstec, you're looking for market-driven solutions, correct? Everything that we're trying to do with an NSIC, I point is, is private sector driven. I point out NSIC's a strategy. It's you know essentially an aspirational document that describes what the market should look like in a few years. If there's you know a real simple way to boil down what we're looking for, it's that we want you know a marketplace where all of us can choose within a few years from a variety of different types of identity solutions that we can use in lieu of passwords every place that we go online in a way that's you know more secure, more convenient, and more privacy enhancing than what we have today. Uh, unlike a lot of government cybersecurity programs that are focused on uh, federal resources, government employees, this is really focused on, on consumers. So, you know, what is my mom in the suburbs of Detroit going to be able to do in a few years when she's on her tablet to log into a number uh, of different sites? We need to change uh, the paradigm from the password-centric solution that we have right now. Have you found that maybe this problem is even larger than when you first started the project three years ago? Um, honestly, no. I, I think I had, I, I've been around the identity space a long time. I came in from the private sector and, you know, have, uh, for better or for worse, seen a lot of the, the problems that industries run into time and time again when they've tried to tackle it. And so, you know, I think it's the first time anybody's asked me that, but I'd say the problems and the barriers are about what I anticipated they'd be coming in. I think what's different and, frankly, what attracted me to take the job is the first time that you've ever seen an entity as, as uh, powerful and capable as the White House say this is a national priority to tackle it. And the ability, because it's a White House strategy, the ability of our office and you know the administration to rally a lot of different types of really diverse stakeholders to the cause to all actually agree on, on trying to do something has been fantastic. It's enabled us, I think, to make a lot of progress because it's one of those things that really requires something at that level to actually get people to the table to tackle. I interrupted you at the very beginning. You were just explaining the three components of NSTIC. What's number two? The other two things closely tied to it are identity and privacy. Identity, you know, I always talk about, most people are familiar with the old New Yorker cartoon where the dog is typing on his computer and says to his friend, the dog, hey, the great thing about the internet is nobody knows you're a dog. That's cartoons 21 years old uh, and it's still very true today. And I always point out, you know, the government has nothing wrong per se with dogs on the internet. There's a lot of things that we do online where it's great to be anonymous or operating under a pseudonym, say, you know, leaving really 
uh, politely written comments at the end of one of your news articles. Is real identity important? Uh, you know, you know, the government doesn't really have a, a say in that. But conversely, there's a lot of applications that we'd like to see online that simply aren't in 2014 because the risk model is such that if online service providers don't know to a pretty good level of assurance that you really are the person you claim to be, they're not going to put it online. So think in the private sector of what we want to do with electronic health records, enabling patients to, you know, log in really simply, push a button, download their information, share it with other people or other organizations. If somebody is spoofing you and there's no way to verify that you really are who you claim to be, a lot of those applications aren't going to be online and a lot of the benefits that we can realize in this country in terms of making more data available, enabling more data to be shared and analyzed, aren't going to be available unless you solve that identity conundrum. Likewise, in government, I think almost every agency has three or four major services that are citizen-facing that ought to be online, but they're not today for the same reason. Government's not sure whether you're really Eric or the dog on the internet who's logging in. And so giving agencies a way to address this identity issue in an easy fashion, we think can help to really spur creation of a whole bunch of new high-value online citizen services that can you know, start to transform the way government interacts with citizens. And then the third thing, uh, you know, beyond identity, is privacy. If we're going to, you know, be creating this marketplace where you have stronger authentication technologies that you might be sharing across different sites, if you're going to be binding proof of who you say you are to those, you need to make sure uh, that you have some good rules in place to actually make sure that this new marketplace that emerges enhances privacy and doesn't detract from it. It'd be really easy to kick privacy off to the corner and say it's an afterthought and build this identity ecosystem that doesn't really think about these things. But if we did so, we'd be building something that would be well, very bad at the end of the day for the country. I think it'd be pushing us in the wrong direction. By throwing privacy up front, saying these solutions need to enhance privacy, build privacy into their architectures, we're actually able to significantly improve the kinds of information that's in the hands of, of uh, consumers, you know, give them more choices in terms of what information they share, allow them to play more of a role in terms of how their information is collected and shared. And, you know, what we've seen from that is when you can empower the consumer to have more of a say, you can actually also develop some applications that are much more valuable. That's Jeremy Grant, who leads the government's National Strategy for Trusted Identities and Cyberspace Initiative. We'll hear more from Grant in part two of this interview, when he'll discuss the promise and results from various pilot projects the government is funding to create a trusted environment on the Internet. Please look for the conclusion of this interview on this website.